0: This is Buck's First Thoughts, the news you need to get through your day in 45 minutes. Make sure you subscribe on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. There's certainly a push-pull going on right now. There's those of us who are feeling the increased warmth and sense of freedom and, and yes, momentum uh, to getting back our lives. And then there are bureaucrats and naysayers and people who have gotten either addicted to this new lifestyle in some way of remote work from home or addicted to the control that they've had over so much of the population. This is going to continue to play out. This is a major challenge that we have in our society, and I want us to be very clear about what we're facing. We're going to get into that today. I also want you to be clear about the challenge of privacy online and making sure that you aren't being tracked constantly. Everything you do, every click. You know that you can't trust big tech anymore. That's for sure. Remember when Google used to say, don't be evil. Uh, We've seen what they actually intend to do with your data, with shutting you down, with interfering in a presidential election. I mean, the stuff that big tech has been up to really has broken whatever faith we had in them in the past. And that's why I don't want you getting tracked all the time. You need to think of a, a, a of a VPN, a virtual private network as a necessary tool in your cyber defense, okay? You have to have it. It's not a sort of kind of maybe thing. Otherwise, everything you do is being tracked, and who knows what they're going to do with that data. When I switch on ExpressVPN on my computer or phone, my address is masked by a VPN server. That's right. My IP address isn't something that they can just track the same way. This is so straightforward. You can do it on up to five devices simultaneously. Multiple users on your network can stay safe with a single subscription. You need to have this. Remember back in the day, we're all worried about getting a virus in our computer. You had all these virus protection programs or else your computer might just crap out on you. You need a VPN given how much tracking and surveillance there is out there of you. So stop handing over your data to big tech companies. Go to the VPN I Trust for online protection. Visit expressvpn.com/buck to get 3 months free on a 1 year package. That's expressvpn.com/buck. 3 months free when you go expressvpn.com/buck. Right now and learn more about this. You need to have this. I've got it. You need to have this on your devices too. What have we learned about the pandemic? What have we seen at this point? That has changed our perception of the kind of relationship that we have with our government that has made us think differently about whether we can trust the experts and medical community. This is a fascinating, terrifying tale in so many ways. The World Health Organization, 12 months today, declared that this was an official pandemic, a global pandemic. In fact, the first real one that we have had since the Spanish influenza of over 100 years ago so this was a once in a century phenomenon and we've been through a lot all of us this whole country the whole world in fact and i know that right now we're, we're just beginning to feel like we've got the momentum on our side and we're getting past this and that's absolutely the correct mindset i mean if you've made it to this point and and you haven't uh, had especially for anybody who hasn't had a really serious bout with the disease themselves or, God forbid, lost somebody that they know or lost a loved one to this, you know, consider yourself lucky at this point because it has ravaged this country. It's gone all over the world and it's a reminder of so many things. The the biggest lesson for me of the pandemic, the single biggest lesson, if I had to pick one, is the reminder that you are in control of your destiny or else you will give up your freedom, right? There, there is no other choice. It's on you. It's on you. How much you are willing to protect yourself, how much you're willing to make decisions about your health and your future. Uh, the government cannot protect you the way that we, we, so many people want to believe they can. The government is incapable of making the kinds of policy decisions about public health that will keep everybody safe. And if you make that trade-off, if you're willing to say to them, Sure, I'll give up my freedom in exchange for safety from a virus. It will be abused. And we have been through a greater attack on basic freedom and liberty this year than we've ever seen in my lifetime in America. That is what has happened. There are a lot of people who are self-deluded about this. There are a lot of people who don't want to think that that is the case. But if you look around and see, we shut down businesses on the whims of politicians for months on end. Bankrupted them. We told landlords, sorry, you can't collect rent or evict somebody because of the pandemic. And then they end up defaulting to the bank. We told people that they couldn't see loved ones. They couldn't hug their grandchildren. They couldn't go out and be with their fellow human beings. They couldn't go to church. They couldn't protest government policies against this. When you start to look at what was normalized at different points in this and what people were willing to accept. I never thought it would get to this point in America, at least not this easily for this kind of uh, infringement, this degree of infringements on our freedom. I, I assumed there would be a greater pushback that America, you know, the land of the free home of the brave, the don't tread on me country, the we stand up for our rights, give me liberty or give me death. Those for the first time in my lifetime felt like empty slogans a lot. Of the time. That was the takeaway that I think we, we all would have to have from this, depending on where you are. I know some people suffered much more than others from this. I know there were some challenges that as we look at them, it was hard to know exactly how we should have handled it at the time. But can anyone look at this and say that our leadership and our government was on it? They did a they did a good job. I, I understand that we want to point to the vaccine. The vaccine is private sector pharmaceutical companies, folks. Operating under the profit motive. Yes, backstop by the federal government through Operation Warp Speed under the Trump administration. But look at how many times we were told things that were conflicting in terms of the advice, in terms of the prescriptions. Look at how often we were silenced on an issue of essential public concern, right? We were told, don't question the experts. Do this or else. You have no choice. They use the force of government and the state To tell you how far away physically you could be from other human beings the government became comfortable telling you that they will fine you or even imprison you if you do not wear a covering over your nose and your mouth when you're in public at all times i i sit here and i think how could anyone view that the trade-off that that was made that we were forced to make here and think that it was anything other than disastrous were the policies that were inflicted on us successful Does anyone really believe that we had a successful response to this virus as a country You have over 500,000 dead, 530,000 last count that I saw? I don't think anyone can say that this was something where we'd say we did uh, we did all that was required to defeat it. But then again, we did all they said was required and it didn't work. So what does that tell us? It means that all along there were things they didn't know they wouldn't be honest about. And it means that if you believe the government will not take into its uh, into its hands. Almost unlimited power, if you give it the opportunity, you're just not paying attention. We should never have been in this position. The government does not have the right to do the thing. And by the way, I don't even care about the Constitution. Nobody has the right to tell you that you have to put a mask on outside all the time. Nobody has the right to do that. It's just the basic human dignity thing. That's that's absurd. This is crazy. It's not a limited time and place restriction saying all the time everywhere you're outside, you have to do this because, you know, mask mandates, they had outdoor mask mandates in places, too. And so when I say the right, this is this is wrong. This is too much power for the government to have. And, and notice how they kept changing the justifications as they went along to uh, or they, they kept changing the science so that they would have the justifications to make whatever modifications to policy they felt like just in time. You know, it it was like they had started some kind of a religion and they got, you know, the the moment they needed it, there was some revelation that told them, yeah, whatever Fauci wants you to do, that's what you're supposed to do. Whatever Fauci declares as the smart thing that comes from the science or the data. We were led like sheep into policies that anybody who's actually looking at the numbers would have to say this was at a minimum ineffective and perhaps even counterproductive it didn't give us the benefits we were promised and it certainly caused a lot of additional uh challenges and and downside and i think that this was what cost uh, this is what cost the trump administration re-election i think that this is why you now have joe biden doddering around mumbling to himself all because of a global pandemic you just never know what life is going to throw at you do you Everyone says we could have prepared for this. We actually did have a lot of preparations for pandemics going on at the CDC, which we've now seen is, in my opinion, a partisan abomination. The place is as atrocious, so much incompetence and just bureaucratic quizzling back and forth on the one hand, on the other hand, uh, hyper cautious, but also oddly always siding with the Democrats. Isn't that interesting? Uh, that the CDC is, is not what many people thought it was beforehand, but there's no real way to prepare a society for this. This was, a tr- uh, this was a stress test of our freedoms, what we're willing to endure, what we will put up with from our government overlords, and it didn't go well. I mean, our response, it didn't go well. In the age of mass media, mass hysteria has become far too easy uh, to utilize, to, to weaponize even for political purposes. You have people now that are even saying they're going to keep doing, even after they're vaccinated, their whole family's vaccinated, they're going to keep all the measures in place, going to keep all the measures in place. This is panic. This is hysteria. This is, it's sad and absurd. And I wouldn't care, except they want you to do that as well. And there will be people out there who continue to demand this. There will be politicians. There will be, uh, there will be government, state and local that continue to inflict this madness upon people. Because they can't get a grip on their emotions and understand that life comes with risk. There is no risk free existence. And if you think the government can take all risk out of your day to day, you are just inviting tyranny. That is what we saw. Your destiny is in your hands. You you hand it to anyone else at your peril. And, And in a sense, the destiny is still in your hands because you've made the decision to let somebody. It's only because you let them that they're able to get away with this is only because you've handed over authority over your own life to some external force that you're not able to push back and tell them to stop. Tell them that there are lines that they shall not cross. I do think we're heading into a better place now. I think that things are going to improve pretty dramatically over the next three to six months. But I, I want you to remember that there are those who would not stand up for freedom during this. There are those who lied to you and would never admit it. And there are people who have become they've gotten a taste of the power that they have to silence anyone and make anyone do whatever they say. And they want that to stay as long as possible. And they want it back if they lose it. You've seen this monster now of absolute power in a way you never believed would be possible in America, at least not without fighting some kind of war. Right. You've seen what it looks like. And now we have to keep it at bay. And the Democrats have not let this go. They haven't decided all of a sudden they're going to be reasonable and they don't want all this power. No, in fact, they view this, I think, as the uh, the precursor, the justification for future infringements upon liberty and freedom. And that's why we have to be on guard. The Biden administration loves using a crisis as an opportunity. And this is an ongoing crisis, whether the numbers actually support that or not in the future. They're going to say it could always come back. Do what we say. There could be another one. Do what we say.
1: Because California, we're not going to come crawling back. We will roar back. You know, when this pandemic ends, and it will end soon. We're not going to go back to normal because I think we all agree normal was never good enough You know, normal accepts inequity. That's why Latinos are dying from COVID at a higher rate than any other racial or ethnic group. And while essential workers wages aren't enough for them to afford the essentials and why mothers, mothers have been leaving the workforce in staggering numbers. Look, our eyes are wide open to what's wrong. And so our journey back must also be a path to close those inequities. There is no economic recovery, no economic recovery without economic justice,
0: not returning to normal. Now, I know the context in which he said that I understand that Gavin Newsom, who's trying to cling to his job as governor of California, is is doing his best here and he's trying to appeal to his base and to Democrats in the loony left state of California. But that's a broader sentiment. And, you know, they have this one. They don't want to go back to normal. No, of course not. In fact, the covid bill, as we've seen, isn't really a covid bill. It's a spend two trillion dollars on whatever the Democrats want for the transformation of our society bill. It is a progressive bill by their by their own admission. Now, now that it's done, you'll notice once they've gotten it passed, they're willing to say things that are far more honest than what they had previously said about this. Now we see ourselves being told. Oh, that's right. We're getting everything we want in this process as Democrats. You know, sorry, Republicans. You're getting steamrolled. There's actually an article in The Wall Street Journal calling it the progressive steamroller. That's what's happening right now. Get out of the way. They're going to do it their way. Or you can go take a long walk off a short pier. They don't care. There's no bipartisanship. It doesn't matter that half the country really disagrees with some of the things that Joe Biden's doing. Not a little bit. Disagrees a lot. And and the border is the best example of of what a crisis under Democrat leadership looks like. This is entirely because of their ideological positions on the border. That's why we have a crisis right now. This is because they've changed policies, they've changed enforcement priorities. Democrats just want whoever wants to come here from from all over the world, but mostly from Central America. They just show up and the Democrats will make sure they're processed and into the country as quickly as possible. That's how they really feel. You won't hear any Democrats say, hold on a second. We, we have too many people coming. This is not through our legal process. This is this is making a mockery of our actual immigration system. None of them say that. No, their problem with what's going on is just that we don't have enough personnel to, you know, take down the names and 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 basic data of people coming across the border. So we can make sure that when they're in the interior, you know, they can sign up for you know, welfare benefits and get driver's licenses and in-state tuition and all these things. That's they just want the processing to be smoother. They don't want it to stop. I mean, this is a big difference. Is why the Democrats have to just lie about this, because the 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 base of the Democrat Party is all about it. I mean, 30 percent of the country roughly just wants us to have an open border. All right. The, the Democrat left on the coasts and in the major cities, you know, the deep blue parts of the country, they just believe Let's just go for it. Open border, whether they say so or not. That's how they really feel. But something like 60 percent of the country really doesn't want our immigration system to cease to actually exist. Right? They, they think that we should have some rules, some enforcement. You, know, you should come here with respect to U.S. laws. So this is why Democrats are doing something and lying about what they're doing. Kind of like the covid bill, right? They call it a covid bill. And then as soon as it passes, what do they tell you? Well, this is actually a progressive steamroller. <laughs> this is actually meant to get our priorities done and anybody who challenges it is opposed to $1,400 checks for Americans. That's what they say. Just like with with Obamacare. If you opposed Obamacare, there's so many parallels. This is all out of the Obama-Alinsky playbook. There's so many parallels. What do they say if you had a problem with Obamacare? What was the the answer they would give you? Oh, you don't want people with pre-existing conditions to get health care? That was it. They shut you down with that every time. Well, if that was all Obamacare was about, why was it a couple thousand pages long? Why was it such an enormous effort to get it passed involving so many different special interests and carve outs and medical device taxes, all the different things? If it was just about that, it wasn't just about that. But that was the sweetener. You see, well, really, that was the the cloak of invulnerability, too. It was appealing, but it also meant that nobody could attack it. Same thing with this uh, covid relief bill. If you think that it's a problem that Democrats are just sloshing around hundreds of billions of dollars to cities that have poorly managed finances, that are running welfare states on their own that they shouldn't to, you know, teachers unions, to you name it. If you got a problem with any of that, why don't you want $1,400 checks to go to Americans who need it? I mean, Republicans under Trump are talking about a $2,000 check. Clearly, we don't have a problem with the check going to people to help them out during this difficult financial time but that's the way the propaganda works. The leveraging of this crisis is really just beginning now. As I've been telling you, even when we get to a point where the numbers are very low as as Fauci says, you know, under 10,000 is kind of his benchmark for where we have really low numbers of covid and we don't have to worry anymore. Even when we get to that point, Uh, with fauci uh, or with with our COVID cases they're going to say well now we need to do a trillion dollars of infrastructure spending now we need to do a trillion dollars of you know whatever it may be climate change renovation of every building and every power plant in the country don't you see that that's what happens after this they use COVID recovery as the launch pad for whatever transformational policies they want to get through Without having an honest discussion with the American people about what they're really doing, they just they, they couch it all in covid relief. So for the next the next 12 months, at least get ready for that. Anything Joe Biden says needs to get done. It's we need to do this because we suffered so horribly from the pandemic. It becomes an emotional appeal that if you have any problem with, it, if you challenge at all, they will trash you for not wanting Americans to get money. They will say that you don't care. You're heartless. You know, as if we didn't all suffer through the covid pandemic, as if we weren't all honestly traumatized. We've we've gone through a national trauma with this whole thing, the separation from family and friends and loved ones and and our our colleagues and everything that we've been through. And it's going to take some time to process this. But the damaged psyche of the American people for for those of us who are honorable, we're all just trying to say we should come together. And get back on our feet and, and you know, take care of each other as Americans in in our own communities, in our own ways, however we can. The Democrats are saying, oh, you've got a damaged psyche. Let's exploit that. That's how they view this. This is a moment for exploitation at the national level.
2: Well, on this occasion, and I think I can safely say, and I've said this to my colleagues in the House on the Democratic side, this is the most consequential legislation that many of us will ever Be a party, too. Who knows what the future may bring? But nonetheless, on this day, we celebrate because we are honoring a promise made by our president. And as we join with him in promising that help is on the way.
0: The most consequential piece of legislation in our lifetime, Nancy Pelosi says. Say what you will about Pelosi. And I say a lot. This woman understands the raw exercise of power. She is thrilled that they got this through and I got to say she was willing to let Americans suffer by the millions, she was willing to play the delay games at the cost of lots of misery all across the nation because we should have gotten covid relief done. We got it done five times, you know, before Democrats had control in Congress and the White House, but we we should have had it um in August, but she she said, no, she wanted to just build it all up and then expend all of their political capital and your actual capital, two trillion dollars of it in this massive bill that she says is the most consequential in our lifetimes. I, I know that that should send a little bit of a chill down your spine. Pelosi's that excited about this. Think about how this will strengthen the Democrat political machinery, the the mechanisms of control over your life in many different ways and what this, what this looks like for them going into the midterms. They're assuming that this amount of spending is going to strengthen their hand. That's certainly possible. That's certainly possible. Uh, it depends on what the economy does. But this enormous amount of spending, I, I'm really worried that you're going to start to see real interest rates will rise, inflation will start to, to tick up, And governments are once inflation gets beyond their control. Guess what? It's beyond their control. There's not a whole lot they're going to be able to do. And that is that is so uh, damaging for particularly people that are wage earners in the middle class. So we'll see what this what this does. We'll see how this plays out with the economy. Um, I, I think that it's going to work out very. I mean, if you want to understand the trajectory of the Biden administration that the one that what is what is its trajectory right now just look at the first four years of the obama administration came in during a crisis you know stinks to be you republicans we're in charge shut up get out of the way they pass a trillion dollars they go for obamacare now you, you see what's going on right now they have a, a COVID pandemic as the crisis. They're passing two trillion dollars of stimulus spending. Only nine percent of it actually has anything to do with COVID vaccines and and actual COVID fighting. And guess what the next move is going to be? Amnesty. That's what that's what's going to happen. This is why the the border, they're not going to stop this. And you know what they're going to say? They're going to they're going to get Republicans they are going to twist their arms. They got the media all in their pocket and they're going to get Republicans to say, uh, you know what? We can't. What are we really going to do, guys? Let's just we'll we'll make a deal with the Democrats that will go for a pathway to legalization. We won't call it citizenship and we'll do it in exchange for aggressive enforcement mechanisms at our southern border, which are never going to happen. But it'll be it'll be the gang of eight situation all over again, except even more illegals in the country, which means even more political weight to what they want. That's what we're facing right now. That's what's underway. And if you have a problem with it, remember how I told you about it just it all lines up. I mean, it, it really is. We're in the deja vu administration, right? We've seen all this before. If you were opposed to Obamacare, you didn't want people with pre existing conditions. People with actual pre existing conditions, I mean the real ones that make them uninsurable were less than one percent of the healthcare market. We could have dealt with that completely separately from all this other. We could, But nope. it was very effective. And look, they outmaneuvered Republicans on that. They got to it first. Republicans should have dealt with that, too, because there is an emotional pull. There is a, a moral a moral case for why we need to make sure that if somebody's has some uh, some, you know, issue at, at uh, of their health that they're born with or that they have some terrible disease they come down with that they can't be pushed out of the insurance market, bankrupted and ruined, right? And, and the way insurance companies were, were sometimes throwing people off and essentially just protecting their profits at the expense of, of, of decency in a dishonest way, that needed to be dealt with. Wasn't dealt with. We still don't really know what the Republican healthcare plan is. I'm just going to say it. We, we hear a lot about free markets and blah, 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 But okay, we didn't get to repeal and replace. Hey, look, this is team honesty here on the Buck Sexton show. You know, you, you know, there'll be other people that are still the, they're just desperately chasing after the Trump train. Now, everything Trump did was amazing. Everything. That's not there was a great Trump stuff. There were shortcomings. There were misses. OK, that's obviously what really happened. But there are people I know who are just Trump. I love it. Chase the train. You know, I'm, I want to get back on the Trump train as soon as I can because I don't really have anything to say. They don't really stand for anything. There are a lot of grifters in Trump world. We all know that, too. You know that I know that. Now we have to be the opposition and it's not enough to just say, you know, oh, Trump released some statement from Mar-a-Lago and we're all going to repeat that on air and and suggest that that somehow is enough. No, we have to we have to make these arguments. We have to stare reality in the face here and and convince 51 percent of our fellow Americans in the electorate that there's a better way. There's a better choice or, you know, 50 point zero zero one, whatever we got to do, but got to get an advantage. And that's our work between now and the midterms. We we have a mission here, friends. We have a quest we are on. This isn't just all you know, talking about this stuff for the sake of you know intellectual discourse. No, we're trying to get power back. We're trying to win. And that means looking at what really happened and what really is going on in the country all around us and things like the propaganda effect of having Democrats and having journalists out there saying. That if you oppose this two trillion dollar bill, you actually don't want Americans to get a fourteen hundred dollar check. We need to call that stuff out because you and I consider and say, oh, what cheap nonsense. That's not true. And Republicans wanted it to two thousand dollars. By the way, Mitch McConnell. Oh, what a disaster with the opposing two thousand dollars right before the Georgia Senate election. What idiocy? Yeah, don't worry, we're going to criticize Mitch McConnell here plenty, too. But here's a New York Times reporter talking about the $1,400 checks. And this is this is what the sheep will bleat in unison when anyone tries to say, wow, Democrats just spent another two trillion dollars. This is getting out. of This is really out of control. Play five.
2: Well, yeah, they, you know, you, you, they voted against your $1,400 check. He didn't want you to have it. So I don't understand the. Um, the political strategy here. I think perhaps they feel that by the midterms uh, in two years that uh, people have forgotten and there'll be something else they're thinking about. I just don't understand These votes, but uh, again, they will take credit for it and hope that people forget. But I think that is one reason you're seeing this big effort by the Biden White House. I mean, this is going to go on for a month. Biden's going to uh, Philadelphia this week or next week, and he's got the entire cabinet out, and they are just—it's just this blitz. They're going to delay the um, the uh, address to Congress by at least at least until April, because they're you know determined to sell this bill, which they are you know very pleased about. So, again, I don't I just I think the Republicans think that by 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 2022, the fall of 2022, people have forgotten about the bill and they can um, move on to something else. It is a mystery to me.
0: Yeah. Why they voted against your fourteen hundred dollar check? That's they're going to distill it down to that talking point. Even the Republicans wanted to do a a check back in August. Here we are in March. Democrats, Pelosi leading the charge, refused to take action while people were suffering. While we went through the winter, the worst winter we had of COVID, right, or or the worst period of time, the worst 90 days was this was this uh, winter. You know, it was December, January, February was the worst COVID uh, outbreak that we've ever we've ever gone through. And we had all these businesses closed. We had people who were running down their savings. You know The problem is journalists have actually done pretty well during this. If journalists had all lost their jobs, if they couldn't continue to work, trust me, we'd all be hearing about the economic devastation. But you know who's been economically devastated by this? Individual small business owners. They're the ones who have been devastated by this. Restaurant owners, people that own stores and shops. Not Amazon. They're fine. Not The Washington Post, which is owned by the CEO of Amazon or the founder of Amazon. Now, they're doing just fine. So, of course, they were willing to sacrifice you. They were willing to advocate for you to continue to shelter in place and wear two masks, wear five masks, don't see anybody, wash your hands, all that stuff, because they were just sitting at home filing their reports, just echoing the propaganda of other corporate media outlets, you know, putting their... They're garbage out there online, getting their paycheck as usual. They had their health care. They're fine. You know, ordering from Uber Eats and getting all kinds of exciting food because the journos all live in cities where there's a lot of food delivery options, of course. So the economic pain that has not been covered, that the same with the economic pain of the destruction of businesses during the BLM riots, that was never a focus. And it's all narrative creation. That's what the media actually does. They're not telling you what's going on. They're telling you what's important in their minds for you to know and believe. It's a different thing. And uh, that's why the way that the public views this $2 trillion that that Biden is spending, I know it's $1.9 trillion, but we'll say $2 trillion. uh, The way the public views that matters a whole heck of a lot because this could make or break the Biden administration. How this goes, what this does to the economy is going to be the difference maker and you can already see it right now i know it's a million it's so far away to think about the midterm elections right now but really it's march we're going to be in the summer before you know it it's going to be the fall we're going to be one year out it's going to be an election year that's how these cycles work in this country you know it. i know it and if they spend all this money and we start to see some real ill effects in the economy some slowed growth some continued hyper regulation covid restrictions that are unnecessary People are going to get really tired of this stuff. So they're going to latch. They're going to continue to latch on to the, oh, they voted against your 1400. You know, fine. Uh, We have to make the case that they could not in a moment that cries out for adult leadership and bipartisanship. Republicans worked with Democrats five times last year. Democrats said, screw you, Republicans. This is our opportunity to get whatever we want that was what they did
1: absolutely as senator warnock said yesterday thank god for georgia we would not have passed this legislation had we not won these two runoff victories on january 5th so for anybody who ever doubts that elections have consequences and that voting matters the thousands of dollars of economic relief that working families are about to receive the hundreds of billions of dollars for the public health effort and to reopen our schools the most Progressive economic relief package passed in generations by the U.S. Congress, 0% of the tax credits and stimulus checks going to the top 1%, promoting economic recovery by getting help directly to working class and middle class people would not have been possible had folks not turned out in record numbers in Georgia in early January. That's the beauty of our democracy. The people's voice is what counts. The people demanded this economic relief. Georgia voters demanded this economic relief. We've delivered this economic relief. Now it's time to pass voting rights measures and to advance a bold and historic infrastructure plan.
0: Oh, they're moving on to the next thing already. And I know we, we have to eat our peas sometimes. And that means understanding that the loss of those two Senate seats in Georgia. I told you when Trump was when Trump was declared, you know, the loser in the 2020 election, I said, guys, you remember this. I said, if we win one of the two Senate seats in Georgia, we're going to be able to hold the line. We're going to be all right. Don't worry about it. Right. It's not great. Obviously, I was bummed about what happened, but i bummed just putting it molly about the, the Trump loss. But but then we lost the two Georgia Senate runoff seats. In highly winnable races, you know, yeah, Kelly Leffler was not a good candidate, obviously. I mean, Purdue, I kind of thought would get it done, but no. Nope. So, you know, the elections do have consequences. It is a true statement. And we're dealing with those consequences right now. This is the world that I was hoping this is the America I was hoping we'd avoid by at least keeping a divided Congress with Republican control. But they're getting their way. So we make the argument against it. We've got to convince enough Americans. We have to get people engaged enough in what's going on that people like Joe Manchin in West Virginia, that, you know, people like Susan Collins up in Maine. uh, Well, Susan Collins, a Republican, I know, but, you know, we got to get her to actually stay with the team here. But we got to get Joe Manchin uh, to make sure that he doesn't just go along with the left on everything. I mean, he's one of the most important politicians in the country right now, and he knows it. If they get rid of the filibuster, we've got we've got big challenges and they're already giving us some sense of of what they what they want to do. I've told you what the game plan is. You know that I'm good at seeing the next moves of my opponents and whether it's Dr. Fauci with all of his lockdown madness um, or what the Democrats are planning here, they've You know, it lines up with what Obama they're they're just it's like they put a big folder out. It's like you have, you know, Axelrod and Valerie Jarrett have taken the folders out of the dusty file cabinets of, you know, Obama 1.0, Obama 2.0. Right. The first of the first and second terms. And they're saying, here you go. And the people around Biden, his handlers, the Biden team are going, okay, this is what we do now. Okay, this is the next move. They're executing on it. I know they're authoritarians and they're they're, you know, leftist, woke lunatics and all that, but they do know how to execute on their totalitarian plans. And that's what they're doing. The next move, as I've said to you, is amnesty. This is where they're going. Here's Democrat from Georgia, Ossoff, talking about a play 12.
1: Look, the right way to handle immigration has been well known to be the right way to handle immigration for 20 years. It's comprehensive immigration reform with a path to legal status for those who are here without proper documentation and otherwise follow the law and substantive efforts to improve border security. There's a bipartisan consensus among the people that that's what we need, just like there was a bipartisan consensus among the people that we needed to pass this stimulus. Ordinary Americans know what's right and what's needed. It's up to politicians in this building and this town to get it done. And it's up to politicians in this building and this town as well to pass the kind of infrastructure bill. That will leave a mark for a century, modernizing our economy, getting our electric grid to 100 percent carbon free electric production, getting our vehicle fleet 100 percent electric. We can make history in the next 18 months with a massive infrastructure package. We need to get it done. We should look at getting it done this summer.
0: They're moving forward on all this progressive transformation of America is underway using COVID as the springboard, the emergency to justify whatever they want. And we have to hold the line against it.
2: President Biden has made clear from day one that he wants to change our immigration system. Doing so means truly building back better because we can't just undo four years of the previous administration's actions overnight. Those actions didn't just neglect our immigration system, they intentionally made it worse. When you add a pandemic to that, it's clear it will take significant time to overcome. We must build a better immigration system that reflects our values as Americans, enforces our laws, safeguards public health and moves away from cycles of irregular migration.
0: Made it worse. Made it worse. Ambassador Jacobson says there about the Trump immigration approach. Interesting, considering there's a huge crisis on the border that is clearly of Biden's making right now. But remember this, Democrats have a different Idea in mind of how this should, how this should conclude, than you and I do. Let's bring in our friend Ryan Gruduski now. He's the author of "They're Not Listening: How the Elites Created the National Populist Revolution" and a political analyst who knows what's going on across the board. Ryan, great to have you back. Thanks for having me. So I'm viewing this as as the the next big move for Democrats. I mean, they're saying this pretty clearly and loudly. Is immigration? When when you look at at the way that they're positioning this. They tried this before the gang of eight bill and that that was a fail. And it was a fail because people got wind of what was happening. And all of a sudden, popularity of that really turned. And Republicans were, you know, that that was a, a shift, it seemed, from what was going to be a done deal. How do you see this playing out, this this move toward amnesty?
3: Well, the, the bill that Joe Biden has been supporting, that's now the House bill and apparently the Senate bill by Bob Menendez, um, has not no Republican co-sponsors so far. Uh, and in fact, Republicans who originally supported the Gang of Eight amnesty, I think there's only really two left, which is just um, it's just Lindsey Graham and, and Marco Rubio. Um, of those, they both said they cannot support this bill because there's I mean, even Lindsey Graham, who's as weak on immigration as anyone could possibly be. He's basically a Democrat. Uh, he said there's literally nothing – there's no board enforcement in the bill. It's, it's just to give me the Democrats. It's a Democrat wish list, um, and that's that's problematic for them to try to get it across the board. They can't even get actually passed in the House right now. Nancy Pelosi said she doesn't have the votes to get it passed in the Democratic-controlled House. So that kind of tells us where we are right now on, on, on the bill. I'm more concerned what's happening on the actual border at this point because, I mean, by May – Estimates are that we're going to have the biggest humanitarian crisis on our border not seen since uh, the early 2000s of, of, the, of George W. Bush's first term, where there were there's probably going to be close to 100. There's over 100,000 people a month coming now. There'll probably be close to 250,000 people coming a month by the end of by the end, by the beginning of the summer. Um, it's a complete disaster. And Joe Biden has gutted all of the safeguards President Trump put in place uh, to stop immigration. A lot of immigration hawks. We're really not, you know, didn't love that Trump didn't complete the wall, that he, you know, never got, never got full reductions to immigration like he promised, never got a merit-based system. However, he did create safeguards for illegal immigration. He created safe third country agreements with other Central American countries. He created the Remain in Mexico policy, which ended catch and release uh, policy that had been plaguing America for 20 years. He ended that. All of those policies are basically gone right now at a time when we still have the coronavirus, I mean, it's gone down substantially, but there are there are new strains forming in parts of the world, especially in Latin America. The EU and the UK have cut off airplane uh, cut off flights to Latin America because of these new strains coming out. And Joe Biden has kicked the doors open to all these people. They're not getting COVID tested, and they're the, they're being um, sent into the country, and then they're being released at bus stations across the Southwest. It's a recipe for disaster.
0: Ryan, it doesn't seem like this is going to get any better, though, because Democrats, from what we've seen so far, their only issue with this is they don't have enough people to, you know, process, meaning bring them in, feed the feed, those they're crossing illegally. Everyone needs to understand that they're not showing up at ports of entry because they just want to show up. If you go to a port of entry, it's almost like you go to the DMV. They only take a certain number on a certain day. And so they're, they're And they don't want to wait in line. So they just walk across the border. They claim defensive asylum. You're supposed to claim asylum at a port of entry. People also don't know that. They say once they've been caught illegally crossing, oh, by the way, I want asylum. And they usually say they are fleeing violence in in their home country. And then they go through this process of, you know, getting their basic biographical data taken. They're held for a period of time. They determine what they're going to do with them next. They usually let them into the country. The Democrats aren't saying we want to stop this and send people back. They're just saying we need to get more people down there so we can get the illegals in faster.
3: Yeah, no, it's completely divorced from reality. I mean, the CNN poll released yesterday found that immigration and this is not the only poll, but this is the most recent one found that immigration is the most unpopular issue for Joe Biden. He's now down, uh, I think, double digits among registered voters in the country on the subject of immigration and what's going on on the border. Um, And it's not getting better. Uh, and, and they have no answer to it. And at this point, the only solution for Republicans, the immediate solution, you know, these attorney generals um, across the southwest in Arizona and Texas and in other parts of this country in Florida, they all need to be suing um, to get nationwide injunctions of him repealing Trump era immigration executive orders. I mean, they, that's the only solution that we have in the immediate, in the immediate future, because th- this is this is part of his ideological agenda. Remember. Joe Biden was moderate during the campaign on many, many issues. He was not going to do Medicare for all. He was not going to gut certain institutions uh, you know, in the left. He was never centrist at all on immigration. He was always one of the most radical people. He was one of the people who raised his hand saying, I want free health care for illegal aliens. He, this is Joe Biden's border crisis. He sat there and has enabled this. He got protections of the Trump era, Trump era protections, and he is sitting there and promising them either amnesty and free health care. It is a recipe for disaster. And it's only going to get worse as the immigration debate continues now that the coronavirus package is done. And um, now that um, and now that the border surge is happening, I mean, it's 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 just going to get it's going it's a complete recipe for disaster. It's a humanitarian crisis, it's a national security crisis, it's an economic crisis. And with the coronavirus, it's a health crisis.
0: We're speaking to Ryan Gerdusky, author of They're Not Listening, How the Elites Created the National Populist revolution, uh, Ryan. Give us a sense. Let, let's say they get to, uh, they get to a, a bill that is effectively an amnesty bill, right? They may call it a pathway, whatever it is. How do you see that? I mean, kind of war game out for us what that would look like from the electoral map perspective. And let's assume, and this is a whole other conversation. We'll get into right now. Let's assume it is about twelve million people that are that are covered under the amnesty bill. I think the number is substantially higher than that. I have for a long time, but let's assume it's 12 million. What is that? What does that mean in terms of the the chances that Republicans have to win national level elections?
3: Oh, it's over. I mean, say goodbye to Texas. Uh, say goodbye to Arizona. Say goodbye to Florida. Say goodbye to uh, North Carolina. It's over. It's it's game, set, match. The whole country's California and enjoy uh, I mean, it's going to take a few years for that to happen because amnesties do take a couple of years and to get them all registered to vote. So maybe we'll have a few good election cycles, but at that point we're whistling past the graveyard and it's just effectively over at that point. I mean, yeah, everyone keeps saying, Oh, Trump did so well with Hispanics. Trump did so well. Yeah. Trump did so well with Hispanics. He got 37%. It's not a majority. He got 41% of Hispanic men or 42% of Hispanic men in Texas. Um, he did well in some areas, not well in all areas. And, and, um, and even in places he's surging, like Chicago or, or, or the Bronx, he went from having nine percent to twenty-two percent. So is that a surge? Absolutely. Is that going to make the Republican Party viable with Hispanics? No. And everyone who and I wrote this in my in my newsletter that's on my Substack, uh, people say, oh, Hispanics they voted because you know, they experienced socialism. They were against socialism. Yes, some Hispanics did: Colombians, Nicaraguans, Venezuelans, Cubans. But you know who benefited the most from the surging Hispanic vote? Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders, when he was a candidate running on socialism, was winning Nevada, California. He got very close to winning Texas, and it was only because of the heavy Mexican population. They don't have a negative opinion about socialism. They don't have a negative opinion. Other, um, uh, uh, other, other. Another. That's
0: a vast majority, even still, of the illegal illegal immigrant population in the United States is still Mexican. I mean, there are a lot of Central Mexican, Americans cent- now, but
3: Mexican, Central Americans, and Puerto Ricans in pollings that have been done. Have a very positive opinion on socialism. So if the idea is that they've that they've all left because of Maduro or they've all moved right because of Maduro, no they didn't. They moved they moved right in the last election because of crime and because of the issues of Black Lives Matter and colorism in the Hispanic community. That is why a lot of them sat there and switched their vote in the in from twenty 2016 to 2020. That is not going to always be the issue, and it is not, and they, they are not going to be catapulted to move right on, on economic issues. They just don't believe in it. It is a recipe for—I mean, we will be debating between Nancy Pelosi's version of the Republican Party, Democratic Party and Chuck Schumer's version, and that's all we'll have left from, from there on.
0: How do we stop it, Ryan? How can it be stopped?
3: Well, I think it should be stopped in the House. Remember, Democrats have a very— very narrow margin in the House. I think that the, I think, I mean, they're already talking about watering down to just a DACA amnesty, which would be bad, but it wouldn't be as nearly as bad as a full blown amnesty. Um, but uh, it has to be stopped in the House. You have to get the, the Democrats who uh, barely won their districts um, in, in or, or, they, or they exist in Trump districts, people like Golden from uh, Maine. Um, he's in a Trump district. Uh, the woman outside Lynchburg, Virginia. Um, I can't remember her name's off my head. She but she's in a very moderate district. She would have to vote against it And I think that they are uh, and even even people even uh, even Hispanic Democrats on the border uh, uh, Henry Kuehler and Vincent Gonzalez um, who are been raging against Biden over the border crisis They'd have to sit there and stop it as well And I think it needs to be put in the context of at a time of a border crisis signaling an amnesty is probably the least responsible thing that you could do especially given that opinion polls as of late as the summer that a, a, major, a super majority of Americans wanted to suspend all immigration to get a handle on the coronavirus, and with, with new strains coming out of Latin America, I mean, we're going to sit there and, and and create a worse situation at just as we're getting out of this entire thing.
0: Ryan, before we let you uh, get back to, uh, where's your Substack by the way? How do people subscribe?
3: Uh, you can. It's on my Twitter account. Just do Substack Ryan Gurdust.
0: Substack Ryan Gerdusky. Everyone Ryan's stuff is really worthwhile. You should subscribe. Uh, Highly recommend it. But uh, just tell us the latest. uh, Give us a minute or so on the latest with the Lincoln Project, because you gave the first push that got the boulder rolling down the hill to squash those jerks. So what's going on now?
3: Right. So the, the Lincoln Project, there was a big story out in The New York Times by Maggie Astor. He's been a fabulous journalist on the entire story. Um, saying that they continue to plan on moving forward with their Lincoln Project media story, the the media project. They're trying to create a billion-dollar media empire. They have half a million donors that donated to the Lincoln Project throughout the 2020 campaign, and they're hoping that despite the the now credible allegations of sexual harassment, of pedophilia um, done by Lincoln Project co-founder John Weaver and the fact that other co-members knew about it and covered it up, They believe they still have the people willing to donate to sit there and make a billion dollar fortune. And basically the story in in the New York Times showed that Rick Wilson, Steve Schmidt and um, and uh, Galen uh, Galen uh, Galen Reed, I believe his name is uh, sat there and um, and knew about it. And they were always plotting to use this as a way to make millions of dollars. And they made, I think, twenty seven point five million dollars in twenty twenty. Um, uh, so they, it's, it's all a grift and they're planning on moving forward and they think that hiding out for pedophilia and sexual harassment doesn't, doesn't mean anything to them. Get
0: a copy of they're not listening, how the elites created the national populist revolution by Harlan Hill and Ryan Gerdusky, our friend, Ryan Gerdusky. Thanks buddy. Thank you.